We're going to jump into our message right now, and I'm excited uh, to continue in our series called Beyond Survival, where we are talking about the fact that right now in the world, with everything going on, that most people, including me often, are focused on surviving, getting through, right? Just getting through this situation, getting through this season, and and surviving. But as a human being, when you only focus on surviving, it really isn't enough because you were built to thrive. You were created to thrive. You were created with this, what the Greek word bios is, biological life. You have a biological life. You're, you're eating, you're sleeping, that side of you. But then there's this zoe, this spiritual life, this life of God. And there's, those two things are at work in all of us. And that nature in us wants to do more than just live. We want to do more than just get enough food and enough money and enough you know, and a roof over our head. Uh, there's this pyramid of meaning or satisfaction or fulfillment, right, you may have heard of. And at the higher levels of that pyramid is this, this search for fulfillment, this search for meaning that we crave it, we want it. We're actually created for it. It's woven into who we are as people. And so we're built to thrive. We're, we're, we're really designed to go beyond survival. And so that's what we're talking about. Now, Jesus talks about a thriving type of life, an abundant type of life in John chapter 10, verse 10. One of Jesus' disciples was a man named John. He records these words that Jesus said. Jesus said, the thief, speaking of the devil or the enemy, uh, only comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus contrasts. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is life times two. Jesus is saying not just life, like, hey, I'm alive, I'm existing, but life that is more than just existence, life that is beyond survival. In another translation of this scripture, it says this, I've come that they may have life and life more abundantly. In other words, life poured in and then filled up and overflowing. This is that thriving kind of life we're talking about. And as we've mentioned in previous messages over this series, it goes beyond, it's not just uh, in perfect circumstances, right? We think, oh, when my life is good all around me, that's when I thrive. No, you can actually be in the middle of the pit. You can be in the pits. You can be down and things can be bad around you, but you can still have this spiritual quality of thriving life that Jesus wants to give you. It's invigorating you, right, from the inside out. This is that spiritual life we're talking about, this kind of thriving life. This is what Jesus has for us as his followers and as part of his family. Now, I want to say something here because there's a lot of misconceptions about the Christian faith probably most of them created by Christians, okay? So I'm not casting blame on anyone else outside of the family. I actually want to talk about internally, but there's a lot of misconceptions and uh, ideas about what it means to be a Christian that are frankly just wrong, okay? Uh, and, And one of those misconceptions is that being a Christian is very restrictive and limiting, and that whatever kind of life you would have outside of being a Christian is really more fun and really more exciting. And you know, really, if, you, if we're honest, it's a little bit more naughty, right? It's a little bit more rebellious, and it makes you feel cool. It's kind of more like being James Bond or something versus being a Christian where you're, you sort of look like a guy with a long beard, and you stand and you, you sing hymns and stuff, and it seems kind of really dull and boring. Um, this is what a lot of people think about being a Christian. And so being a Christian, though, is not really, um, a, it's not a cultural thing or whatever subcultural idea you have of it. Being a Christian is not even okay, hear me on this, even a moral code. Being a Christian is about connecting to the life of Christ. It's about confessing your sins, recognizing that you as a person don't have what it takes. You need Jesus to save you, and you begin to follow him. You have this faith relationship with God. It's actually not restrictive. It is a paradigmatic shift. Uh, It's a paradigm shift. It's a different way of looking at life. It's this whole 
shift in who you are where you recognize the things that I think fulfill me, pursuing just, you know, wantonness and, and being uh, driven by my lusts and my greed and my covetousness and this pursuit of more, more, more at any cost. I thought those things would fulfill me. If I could have more sex and more money and more booze and more drugs or whatever it may be or more work or whatever, it doesn't have to be something that's necessarily illicit according to society's definition. Many people are addicted to things that other people celebrate. Like people be like, yeah, I'm a workaholic. That's not good, guys, okay? But our society goes, well, no, that's great. You're a hustler. You're doing it. No, we can have our target of life on a million different things that are wrong. And we think that will fulfill me. That's what life is about. And if I become a Christian and I start playing by quote unquote God's rules, then all of a sudden I'm going to, again, be the guy, you know, singing hymns and really bored to death and missing everything that life has to offer. But I want you to just, if you can for a minute, just kind of shift your focus and look at this from a different angle. If you think about the fact that God is the creator of all things, he created every good thing. In fact, he created every good desire, including your desire for, uh, for money, to be an entrepreneur, to grow, have a business, to prosper, to have nice things. God actually created that. God created a world in which that was possible. He's the one that put gold into the mountain for us to find. Okay, you with me? So you could make a nice bracelet or whatever you want to do or nice gold teeth or whatever you want to do. <laughs> God is the one that created your sexuality, Okay. I hear a lot of amens coming through the camera right now. God created that. It's good. God created these desires. Sin corrupts and perverts these desires and says if we elevate one of these desires to this obscene level, that's when we get really fulfilled. But it's not like that. It's like if you eat 17 gallons of ice cream, you're not loving life. The other day we had some treat or something. I don't remember what it was. And I think it was s'more lesson with your original design. Okay, now this is what what happens, I wanted to think about design, a perfectly designed machine. I used to own a BMW, and it was so fun to own. It's the ultimate driving machine. It was, hugs the ground. It's really cool. And I would speak in a German accent when I drove. Come on, you know, we're driving here. That's a terrible one, but, you know, you get the picture. It was fun. And uh, that car, you know, uh, the one I had wasn't a diesel, but some of them are diesels. I want you to imagine if you drive a diesel like a Mercedes or a BMW or whatever, it's been perfectly designed, honed in. They say, this is the kind of fuel it takes. You pull up to the station, and they say, okay, your car is diesel. We're going to use diesel. And you're like, no, I want unleaded gasoline. No, you're going to wreck what's going on. You weren't designed to be fueled that way. This is what we do when we take the design that God has given us as human beings and this perfect life that we could enjoy and enjoy to the full, and we twist it out of proportion, and we pursue our own things and try to fulfill ourselves. We actually get the thief's plan for our life. We're, we're stolen from, we're killed, we're destroyed. This is what millions and billions of people have experienced through history is when we make ourselves the target or our own desires that are out of order, right? Taking us away from original intent and design, we end up unfulfilled. We end up actually broken and destroyed. But when we turn to God, we don't have a lesser quality of life. Actually, just like the car that is fueled correctly with the right type of fuel that it was designed and engineered to take, when we are fueled by the life of God and the purposes of God, we get fulfilled. We actually thrive. Come on, um, this is good stuff. Amen. So how do we engage this kind of life, this thriving kind of life? Today, I want to talk about this, that we engage this kind of thriving life by having a living faith, a living faith. Now, again, many people have this misconception, and perhaps you do, as I do at times, this misperception about faith, that it's this abstract intellectual Faith is the things I believe, okay? 
But actually, real faith, as defined biblically, which we're going to see here in a minute, is more than that. It is actually a commitment of life. Real biblical faith, living faith, goes from the head to the heart to the hands. It goes from the level of intellect to the level of action. And it begins to transform not just how we think, but it begins to transform that which we do. And it's the way by which we engage this thriving kind of life that Jesus is talking about. When Jesus says, I want to give you life and life to the full, it's not just that you feel good on the inside, kind of in this philosophical, spiritual sense. No, he actually wants to transform you and bring resurrection life into all aspects of your being. And it informs and influences all that we do in life and including our actions. So let's talk about this action faith, this living faith. I'll tell you this statement here. You will never truly thrive until your faith becomes alive. Really, you can't do it. It's impossible because there is no life apart from God and a living faith in him that allows a human being to thrive in the same way that a vehicle cannot be fueled with another fuel outside of the original engineering design. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work. So we will never truly thrive until our faith becomes alive. Let me tell you a story. Charles Blondin was a world-renowned tightrope artist an acrobat. Pretty exciting, right? And on June 30th, 1859, before a stunned crowd of 100,000 excited onlookers, Charles Blondin was the first person to cross Niagara Falls by tightrope. Now, I don't know if you've been to Niagara Falls. I've been there, and that's amazing, right? It's enormous and scary. He crossed 1,100 feet on a single three-inch hemp cord, strung from 160 feet above the falls on one side to a spot 270 feet above the falls on the other the breathless assembly watched him accomplish step by slow step a feat that most believed was impossible. But Blondin was just getting started. In the years to come, the daring entertainer crossed again and again. He did it on stilts. He did it in a sack. He did it even pushing a wheelbarrow. He even did it with green eggs and ham. You can eat them anywhere, right? He did it. I added that part. Uh, He did it even pushing a wheelbarrow. And the story goes that an exuberant onlooker called out, you could cross with a man in that wheelbarrow. And Charles Blondin agreed. And he invited that man to climb in. The spectator nervously declined. There's a real difference between believing something is possible and getting into the wheelbarrow. There's a real difference between believing, oh yes, there's a God. There's a God out there, and he loves me, I suppose. I've heard that Jesus died for my sins, and I suppose I could engage in these intellectual beliefs, and all you're really doing is dipping the tips of your toes. You probably can't see my toes, but they're down there, I promise. Uh, Dipping the tips of your toes into the water, and yet to be a Christian is to fully immerse, to dive in head first or feet first or however you want to dive in, maybe even belly flop in, but to go all in with God, a living faith. It's one thing to go, you could take a man in that wheelbarrow, and to be the man that climbs in the wheelbarrow and allows that, that progress, that journey to happen. Living faith is this getting into the wheelbarrow. Living faith is where I say, man, I'm going to take my, my beliefs, and they're not just going to be abstract and principles and, and, and things that I look at, you know, mentally, okay, should I do this, should I do that? No, I'm actually going to let that be what guides my life. My living, my breathing, my acting, my doing, my marriage, my financial decisions, the way I raise my kids, how I interact politically, everything influenced by this alive and real relationship with God who designed me and crafted me for purpose and meaning and loves me and has called me to live a fulfilled life, a life of thriving. This is what living faith is. Let's jump into the scriptures for a second. I want to read a passage of scripture to you written by Jesus' brother, James, okay? 
Jesus' brother James wrote this passage of Scripture, and it speaks to this idea of faith that goes beyond the abstract and intellectual, the merely cognitive, and actually invades the activity of a human life. James writes this in James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Now, to translate James, in, James into a modern-day English vernacular, he is saying, don't be a poser. That's what he's saying here, right? Don't be a poser, guys. You're saying you're a Christian. Act like it. Live like it. Let it be real. If you say you have faith, but don't show up by your actions, can that kind of faith save anyone? It's a rhetorical question, right? The answer being no, can't. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. This is how I feel when I, when I go to uh, certain types of companies, you know, customer support. You're like, hey, I have this problem. They're like, we understand. Have a nice day. Uh, I, I don't want to be understood. I want help, right? How many of you are aware of this? It's like, hey, I need help. We appreciate your business. Really? Can you fix the problem? We appreciate your business. Have a nice day. Thank you. So this is what James is talking about. We say to someone who's hungry or thirsty, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Again, I love James. He's kind of sarcastic. Like the implication here is it doesn't do any good. You didn't help the person. Okay. You gave him some platitudes. And Christians, if you're a Christian, we got to get rid of platitudes, guys. We have so many platitudes. When God closes a door, he opens a window. Well, I need a door. I actually need a garage door, not a window. I need the whole thing to open up. We've got to get rid of the platitudes. So James continues. He says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. What's he saying? He's saying unless your faith goes from the head to the heart to the hands, it's not real. It's, it's a half faith. It's not active. It's not living faith. It's not thriving life kind of faith. It's it's trying to hedge your bet and still try to fulfill yourself and still try to like trust in yourself and live your own life without actually leaning in to God in a real way. Now, someone may argue, well, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God good for you. You believe in God. Good for you. A lot of people tell me they believe in God. And I interact with lots of people, both Christian, unchristian, other faiths, other religions. Many of them say, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in God. James says, good for you. Even demons believe that. And they tremble in terror. In other words, demons, evil spirits, they know there's a God and they're freaked out by God. That doesn't mean they're obeying. doesn't mean they're living in accordance with his kingdom and his rule. James says, how foolish can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? In other words, faith that is purely intellectual, faith that is purely lip service, just words. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. Okay, how does that impact your real life? Well, not really at all. I'm a Christian. I follow God. I'm a follower of Jesus. Really? Are you a disciple? Are you walking in the footsteps of Jesus? Are you following? Are you taking up your cross every day? Have you surrendered your life and your will? Or are you going, well, I like parts of the Bible, but parts of it mm, I'm a little uncomfortable with because it doesn't fit my modern American or modern Western view or modern whatever view of morality. And I just think and I feel and I feel that's not the thing. See, a living faith is not about what you think or feel. A living faith recognizes what I think and feel 
is broken. And I require redemption and restoration. And this is the Christian worldview made explicit. The Christian worldview is that the grace of God shines so bright and the love of God shines so bright, but it shines that way in contrast to the darkness of the human condition that people aren't basically good. People aren't basically okay. We're basically flawed. We're basically broken. And that leads us to do basically broken things and break ourselves and break others. And so turning our life to God in repentance means doing a 180 and saying, I'm going to go a different direction. It doesn't mean you're perfect, that you're never going to make another mistake. Far from it, but it means that you have been brought into the family of God and his grace is activated in your life. His kingdom is now planted in you and you now are carrying the seed of this new creation. And there's so much I could say about this, but I'm not going to because I want to save some for next week. But there's this beautiful new life awaiting each and every one of us, a kingdom life, a new life, a transformed life, a a thriving life. But it means activating. It means following Jesus. Actually, not just in word, but in deed. So I want to leave you with three things that you must do to have living faith. Three things that you can put your hands on and take to the bank, right? These are activities you can do. Three things. Number one, align your behavior with your belief. I must, to have living faith, align my behaviors with my beliefs. In other words, if I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, then I need to actually make a tangible effort, a material effort, to align those behaviors with what I believe. Because we need to look for that place in our life where there's cognitive dissonance, where there is denial, where there is hypocrisy, where there are lies, where there are shadows, where there are locked doors and secrets that we have not allowed the Holy Spirit to come into. We have to say, okay, to be real here, I need to align some behaviors with my beliefs. Now, what we find is that when you do that, there's not guilt and shame and condemnation from God. Actually, there is freedom and hope and resolution and restoration and redemption. It's beautiful, forgiveness. But we need to align our behaviors with our beliefs. Number two, we need to adjust our priority to our purpose. So what do I mean by this? Well, many people in life, they, they say they have a purpose. Well, my purpose is to honor God. My purpose is to help people. But then when you actually look at where their time and their money and their energy goes, it goes to another priority, the real priority. It goes to making money or looking for relationships or uh, playing games or whatever it may be, just you know, getting drunk on the weekends, whatever it may be, you actually find that the real priority is not lined up with the real purpose And to have living faith, we have to get alignment and integration in our behaviors, but also in the priorities of our life and say, this is my priority. This is what I'm going to give time to. One of the ways that I reflect the priority of my relationship with God is by every morning waking up and just reading the Bible and praying. And guess what, guys? Not every day do I wake up and go, woo, I get to read my Bible. I just went through Chronicles and it was like these genealogies and I was so bored. I was like, oh my gosh, like, is this, should I even have to read this? And I'm like, you know what? No, I'm going to do it. It's part of my, my time. There's something about just putting in your time and like showing that priority. You know, marriage, if you think about a relationship, it's not like every day you wake up and you're over the moon for your spouse. You have to cultivate like a garden, that relationship and continue to feed into it and nurture it. And we do that with God. Then so, you know, devotion, that time in the morning, that time spent with God is a great way to align your priority and align yourself with your purpose. Number three, Assess my success by the right standard. Assess my success by the right standard. Okay, how are you measuring success in life? Are you measuring it with the amount of dollars in the bank account? Are you measuring it with how other people, what they say about you on social media? Are you measuring it by how you feel from moment to moment? Whatever it is that you're measuring life by, 
we need, to, we need to say, okay, look, the metric, the measurement, the ruler of how I measure success in my life needs to get aligned with what God says. Who does God say you are? Who does God uh, call you to be? What has he designed you to do? What is your kingdom purpose? How can you help other people? Look for that right standard and measure life by that right standard. I'll tell you that uh, disappointment comes from an expectation gap. We are disappointed when we expect marriage to be a certain way or a friendship to be a certain way. We expected this job to be a certain way. We expect other people to fulfill our needs. And there's a gap that's created between reality, which is always far less than what we expect usually, right? Uh, We're disappointed because of that gap. How do you eliminate that gap? You have to say, what is the real measure of fulfillment and happiness and success in life? It's not what I maybe think intuitively, naturally, because I'm flawed by sin. It is something different. It's an other, uh, it's, a, it's a measurement from this other kingdom, from, from God's perspective. So assess your success by the right standard. One, align your behavior with your belief. Two, adjust your priority to your purpose. And three, assess your success by the right standard. Let's engage this God kind of life, this thriving life by having living faith that's real and vibrant and purposeful where we're activated in Christ because we'll never truly thrive until our faith becomes alive. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this message, this word. I pray that we would take it to heart this morning. I pray that we would, wherever we are, we would go, you know what? I don't want to just live this intellectual kind of faith, this abstract thing. I want to take it in and I want to, I want to breathe it out. I want to live it out. I want it to go from my head to my heart into my hands. I want, to, I want to be activated as a true follower of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy that allows us. Lord, we make so many mistakes, but you allow us to continue to journey with you, to continue to follow after you. So Lord, we just put our faith and trust in you today in Jesus' name. Real quick before we finish up today, one of the, the most important things we do every Sunday is give people an opportunity to put their faith and trust in Jesus. And maybe you're listening to me right now live on this live stream, or maybe you're watching on replay, and you go, you know what? I I don't have a living faith. I don't have a real faith in Jesus. Well, this is your opportunity to place your faith and trust in Jesus. So we're going to pray right now, and I want to encourage you to do that. Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've not lived up to your perfect standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy that was revealed to me at the cross. And today, I put my faith and trust in you. I confess my sin, and I give you my life, and I receive your life. I thank you that you have given me access to you and into your family. You've invited me to follow you, and I make that decision of my own free will today to follow you each and every day of my life. I thank you for your grace and mercy. I give you my life today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you made that decision, I want to encourage you to take one small, very simple step of faith, which is to let us know that you made that decision. And the way you can do that is to simply text the word DECIDED. We're going to put this on the screen for you. Uh, text the word DECIDED to 541-229-8848. Just text the word DECIDED to 541-229-8848, and we're going to help you keep walking in that journey of faith with Christ and help you take those steps as a member of the family of God. Uh, If you want to get connected to Joy Church, if you are interested in becoming a part, you want to lean in to this community and all the exciting things God is doing here in Eugene and around the world through our church, then I want to ask you to fill out a card by sending the word HOME Uh, H-O-M-E, the word home, uh, to 541-229-8848, that same number. Text the word home to 541-229-8848, and we'll get connected with you and tell you about the the ways to get uh, locked in with Joy Church. So thank you guys so much for being here. Hey, we're going to jump in right now to our connect group. So go to joyeugene.com slash live. 
jump into uh, connect groups and uh, we will see you there. Have an awesome week. God bless.